Welcome to For What It's Worth, the blue shell of the furry fandom. I'm a horrible person. You'd leave stuff laying around? An introduction to and exploration of the furry fandom. No, no, you can't do that because I seriously think of Five Nights at Fred Meyer every time someone says that. What's brown and sticky? Well, we have a choice here. Yeah, tell them what our choice is. What are the choices? Limbago in Idaho. What the hell? <laughs> show, of course. There are certain women I just want to bitch slap. <laughs> so in summary, people are awful. <laughs> it's it's kind of true. And now, here are your hosts, Firebreath and Sammy. Why, hello, everybody. How are you all doing today? This is Firebreath. And this is Click. So, Click, uh, how are you doing? Um... Doing okay, actually. <laughs> not bad. Uh, I'm starting to cool off here. Um, it's not cool hard. Yeah, it's been, you know, 90s to 100 degrees Fahrenheit all summer, and it sucks. <laughs> yeah, well, climate change doesn't exist, apparently, right? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> uh, it's cooling off here in Montreal as well. We're, we've been getting uh, slightly chilly. Starting yeah. to get the coats out. It's been nice. Sweater weather. Uh, Hoodies, hoodies weather. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Winter is coming, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I guess, uh, what have you been up to other than cooling off? Not much. A lot of work. <laughs> um, mostly work. Usually, um, as far as games, we've gotten back into Valheim with their new update. It's been a lot of fun. I heard a lot of good stuff about that game, honestly. It's it's actually it's a it's a time sink, that's for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, the, I hear it's the the Viking Minecraft. So it, <laughs> I could see how that would be a time sink for sure. <laughs> more more or less, yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely works good for that. And then, you know, just waiting for update five to come out for satisfactory, and then I can go back to my nerdy factory building games and that's about all the automation. <laughs> well, and as for myself, well, nearly brand new computer. So that was way overdue. My poor little i5 couldn't cut it, but got an upgrade. Transferred to GPU, though, because those are yeah, like, like getting one. <laughs> I, I actually could get one from the local computer store if I didn't mind paying a time and a half the price for it. Yeah, right. And pay the same price I paid for everything else I changed. I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm not made of money yet. Yeah, yeah. So, build build an entire rig and then spend the exact same amount of money on just a GPU. Yeah, I was not ready to do that just yet. So, <laughs> <laughs> But that was actually a good thing because I was able to get back into Fallout 4 and play some settlements to mod. And that's a brand spanking new game. Seriously. Changes it changes everything. the entire thing plus an entire new quest line I was really impressed by it so uh, if anybody is listening to us that worked on some settlements too uh good job guys you did an amazing piece of work with this thing and can't wait for chapter two to come out later uh, later this year <laughs> nice it's always nice when a mod like i don't know the modding community in games is amazing because they come up with stuff and it like you said it completely makes a new game out of it yeah and not only that but i'll be honest the the, the level quality that they came out with for that mod, some settlements too, is absolutely amazing. Like I could hardly, if I didn't know it was a mod, I would say it's a Bethesda 
DLC or expansion or whatever. And at, I clocked about 20 hours total, including like some settlement building in that because it's it's called Sim Settlements, right? So you're, you're, part of it is like you're making SimCity out of your settlements in Fallout 4. Right. And it automates a bunch of stuff and it's really, really cool, but you still have to spend some time working on those to 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 to, to uh bring the, the quest line forward. And it clocks in at nearly like seventeen to twenty hours on its own. And I was very impressed by it. Nice. And the voice actors, top notch. Oh yeah. Oh wow. So they actually brought in new actors and everything, huh? Oh yeah. It's it's a full-on DLC, as far as I'm concerned. And if Bethesda is listening, guys, check out those people and hire them or something for Fallout 5, because, damn, I want that in the game. <laughs> awesome. Well, as usual, we have Rue around wandering somewhere with a cookie. Let's see if we can track him down. Shh. We're <laughs> hunting woos. <laughs> Will he reuse another one? Is he ready? Is he going to bed with pastries again? It's Ruse Cookie Time, not sponsored by Betty Crocker. Hello everybody, this is Rue. Down at the gym, losing some weight. I've ate way too many cookies. So I had to do something to get those pounds down a little bit. That's gaining just a little bit too much weight. So here's your cookie for today. Unveil your ideas and be ready to act on them. In bed with a cookie. Once again, that was unveil your ideas and be ready to act on them. In bed with a cookie. Stay fit, my friends. Well, that was an interesting tidbit from Rue, wasn't it? <laughs> it always is. Always is. And always in bed with a cookie. <laughs> So crummy. All the crumbs in the bed. All the crumbs. I hope he has a dustbuster or something. <laughs> he has a very large whisk broom. <laughs> the Roomba on the bed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, I guess at this point, we're just going to take a quick short break. And uh, we'll be back in a moment with our actual topic. And uh, we'll see you guys in a moment. Yay. And with that said, that's exactly why I can't ever go to the local Starbucks again. Man, you you, you did such an an incredible feat over there, <laughs> and I cannot blame them for having banned you from going. 
Sorry, that was cheesy. Anyway, so uh, what are we talking about today? Actually, it's something that, again, uh, I have a little bit of experience in, but I thought I'd bring some some people that have much more fresher experience than I do. <laughs> and it's something that a lot of people have a lot of questions about, have a lot of misconceptions about as well. And that would be, drumroll please, running a convention. Oh, I was, told, I was hoping you were going to shorten it and say running a con. Well, yeah, the, I, I, I was going to, but then I thought, mm, bad idea. Yeah, <laughs> we don't want to steal people's money. Or any other things. Yeah. <laughs> so today we have uh, two different uh, people, again, from uh, a convention, again, in Canada. You know, I bring in all the Canadian guests. <laughs> Uh, who are actually in charge, pretty much, of Canada's biggest convention, which is Fernal Equinox. At least I believe it's the Canada's biggest convention now. And that would be Aiden. Say hi, Aiden. Heyo. And Scotty. Hi, Scotty. Hello. So Aiden and Scotty are two different have two different jobs when it comes to the convention. Uh, we'll, I'll let them explain that, but I thought it would be interesting to bring both aspects of this. And Scotty is also a, a, a extent, more extensive experience on various uh, roles than, uh, than I do now. So, uh, Aiden, uh, hi, how are you doing? Tell us about a little bit about yourself. I'm good. I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Um, yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> I guess I'm, uh, I'm a I'm a guy. I'm 37. So just in case people are like, oh, you know, he's you know this. All the con people are are super old. No, not true. We got uh, plenty of people on our team that are much younger and younger than me too. Some some people are uh, are very young. It's interesting to see it with the range of people who are involved. Um, I've been a furry for, uh, gosh, I always hate doing the head math. Um, about 17 years. Um, so been, been, been around furry for a while. Um, started out on like Neopets and Furcadia, you know, the typical things that are like interesting to, uh, Neo furries back in those days. Um, and yeah, yeah, I've, um, like, I, I think my first act where I kind of formally, uh, recognized or, or did something that, that related to being a furry was I went to a, a convention, um, to, to meet up with some friends that I'd met online. So I was back in 2004, so yeah. Um, what convention was it? That was uh, Conifer. Wow. On the West Coast, yep. That, my first con, like way back then. Yeah, no, it was pretty pretty fun. Um, interesting tidbit about myself. Interesting tidbit about myself. Hmm. Um, I don't know. Like, I mean, I guess I work in tech, uh, and I always try to know everything because like, I feel like it'll serve me at some point in the future, so... My, my brain is very quick to lose information, <laughs> I guess. Um, but anywho, yeah, I, I can't come up with anything better. I'm sure I'll come up with stuff later. <laughs> oh, we'll get to know you throughout this episode. Oh, yeah. So it'll be interesting. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, by the way, yeah. That's how I, I do So what's your species as a furry then? Oh, geez, right. Um, I am an ocelot. Uh, so, you know, wildcat, but very small one. And it does, it fishes and it's cute and fun and rainforesty. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's, uh, I don't have a suit, boo hiss, but, um, but yeah, no, I, um, I've been an ocelot for, well, I was a snow leopard first. So for most of the history of my, me being a furry, but like for a few couple of months, I was, I was a snow mew. 
cue. So always all, all of the snaps suddenly being like traitor. Anyway. <laughs> well, you you've at least remained a feline throughout this yes. uh, this whole thing, which is pretty. That cool. has been consistent. Yes. <laughs> How about you, Scotty? Hi. Hello. Uh, I am Scani. I'm uh, I am a griffin, so part cat. So uh, that's good, I guess. Um, I I also am roughly in Aiden's age range. I'm 33. Um, honestly, I don't feel that old, but uh, unfortunately, the calendar is uh, very much heartless. Um, I've been in furry since uh, 2004, so I guess that would be about um 16 17 years nowadays um i actually got into it through uh uh through different communities to be honest i was big into um i was big into various gaming forums at the time and kind of became peripherally uh familiar with furry through uh, uh through some of the people that i hung out with there um and um it kind of went down the rabbit hole of, hey, here's some furry art. I'm like, oh, that kind of looks neat. And this was roughly around the time that um, there were, I was getting increased awareness of what furry was. Um, CSI was a mater- uh, was a media portrayal at the time. I know people of that era have very mixed feelings about that, but um, that was how people like me found out about it in the first place. Um, Whereas other people might have been a little bit squicked, I was like, okay, this sounds a little more interesting than anything. Um, and uh, I just kind of went in from there, started uh, gathering on various local forums, uh, getting into various communities on IRC at the like. Uh, went to my first convention in 2006, which was Camp Farrell. Um, and things just kind of escalated from there. So my, my journey has definitely been a little bit different. But uh, but it's definitely been an interesting one, nonetheless. And somehow uh, I'm still here. I got got the con running bug, and that's kind of been one of the primary things I've been involved with in the fandom over the past dozen years or so. That's really cool, and it's quite a different way of getting into the the fandom. But yeah, it's it's good. It's good. It's not, it, it, most people would say, oh, I, uh, the, the Vanity Fair article, the, 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 uh, like you said, the CSI episode, oh, that, that would have squicked me away from it. So somebody who got brought in from that, that's actually very uncommon in my experience to hear somebody it, it, say that. It's interesting. I think, um, there is a certain level of, um, there is definitely a certain level of discomfort and I think we'd kind of prefer to you know, that we, that people of that era would prefer to stay away from. But at the same time, more recently, I think we're seeing more of a, more of a keep furry weird mentality uh, going about in various circles. And um, yeah, I, I think part of what makes furry unique is the fact that we are a little bit, you know, we are a little bit unique in terms of, you know, in terms of the things that we like. And, you know, I, the more and more, more and further I get into the community, I think I come to realize like, you know, allowing people to, allowing that degree of self-expression and allowing that people to you to have that full definition of who you are and having the space to freely and completely define yourself um, is really important. Um, that's what's really interested me the most. I think I've seen a lot of people that have been able to experience a lot of personal development when they have the place and they have the space to fully define themselves, define who they really are uh, without feeling constrained by other things. So yeah, I, I think Furry has been really great for that. It's 
really kind of been, been appealing and I've only really been kind of unpacking it more in the past few years as I've gotten an understanding of, you know, why am I doing this? But um, yeah, it's been good. Um, I think communities that provide that degree of self-expression and, you know, kind of allow you to, you know, kind of break, you know, I don't want to say break rules, but, um, you know, not necessarily feel so society, societally constrained are a good thing. So basically, uh, furry is the Portland of fandoms, from what I understand. Because there's sure, this whole move- well, there's this whole movement in Portland where it's keep Portland weird, right? It's I, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend I know exactly what's going on, but when I visited Portland, that was the big thing. And now I'm listening to you, and I'm like, yep, keep furry weird, keep Portland weird. We're the Portland of the fandoms. I'm cool with that. <laughs> no wonder all the furries want to go to Portland nowadays. <laughs> that explains it. All right, so as I was saying, what we're going to be talking about is convention running. Uh, there's a lot of misconceptions. There's a lot of ideas. There's a lot of preconceived ideas, I would even say, about what it means to run in convention. Uh, a lot of people assume it's fairly easy. Uh, as I said, I have a little bit of convention experience myself. Uh, so I have a better understanding of what it entails, what it means, what work goes in. But since Conference Zero, back in the early days of the fandom, things have changed a lot as well. And I think it's nice to be able to talk to people, especially just coming out of COVID or hopefully coming out of COVID, because I, I understand that Fernal Equinox had to do a little bit of pivoting on their, their, their how they did things for uh, 2020. And like I think before it's been... <laughs> <laughs> week before we're like, hmm, okay. Exactly. But we're going to talk a little bit about that. Don't you worry. This is something <laughs> I think is very important to talk right now. But I know a lot of conventions have had a lot of trouble in the past year. But even before that, it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of misconceptions, a lot of things that people don't understand how much work goes into it. So... It's, it's so much more than just people sitting together and talking and drawing. And it's so interesting to see how they have evolved over time. So as for yourself, like, do you have any experiences or anything related to cons that you think would be a good uh, example of what uh, we're talking about today? <laughs> yeah, I got a little. <laughs> um, so I've been going to cons for about 11 years now. And, um, you know, I spent a couple doing gopher duty, uh, volunteering, which is, you know, pretty important. Um, and then I ended up being con chair for a small con here locally in Utah and ended up basically running the whole show. Um, not to say by myself, you know, I was the chair, but, um, so yeah, I got some experience running a con. It was kind of... I don't want to say dumped on me. Um, so I, I started, I, I showed interest in being the vice chair and then the con chair had circumstances come up to where he couldn't do it anymore. So then I was bumped to con chair and it was like, here you go, have a convention. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a fairly common occurrence, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're Uncle Kage, in which case you just keep going and going yeah. and going. Yeah, but it was See, for, it was a lot of fun. Oh, it, I, as somebody who was director of operations for the local convention here in Montreal called What the Fur, and I actually worked in the first few years 
with Fernal Equinox as a security guy, as a security guy. And I worked at Furfright for a few years before they changed name as security again. And volunteering here and there for other conventions like the local uh, sci-fi con here in Montreal. I attended my first convention in 2001. It was Camp Farrell. And then I attended Fur Fright two years and then I started working at Fur Fright. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that, that gives a, a, a slightly different experience for me because only recently have I started going back to conventions, but as an attendee, not as a staff member or volunteer. And it takes everything I have not to start doing things. Yeah. Like, oh, this needs to, oh, the, the water pitchers are empty. I should tell the hotel, oh, I need to do this. Oh, should, this should be done. Uh, and I'm like, nope, not my con. I should not be doing this. Maybe tell a, tell tell somebody on staff or a volunteer or something, but I should not be doing this. <laughs> so it's quite a, it's really, really hard for me to stop getting out of the mentality of I should be working at a con. Yeah. The difference between a, a very good attendee and a and a reasonable volunteer is actually not all that huge. Right. Yeah. Once it gets into your system, it's kind of hard to get oh, it out. Gosh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I have to say, though, when we started for, for, for uh, when we started working on uh, what the fur, we decided the name in front of a smoked meat platter. <laughs> at a restaurant it doesn't get any more montreal than this you know so i had to put that tidbit in because it makes it, it it's so funny to hear every time that is literally <laughs> the most montreal thing <laughs> yeah only if i do believe there was a putsin somewhere on the table as well so you know oh, it's I'm, pure montreal i'm so jealous i man if of all the foods i wish we could get here Putin or smoked meat? Putin. Uh, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't use know. mozzarella, please. Yeah, smoked meat we can get, but. <laughs> All right, so uh, I'll start with Scanny on this one because uh, I think that it's interesting that you would. You, I think it would be interesting for you to share your your uh, your, your path with us when it came to uh, Fernal Equinox. But how did you start running a convention? And what do you do now? Um, it's one of those things where I didn't come into furry thinking to myself, I am going to be an event runner. Um, that wasn't necessarily what I thought I was going to do. Um, to provide a little bit of background for, for listeners, um, I work as I, I work as a designated accountant now, um, and at the time when I first got into con running, I was still I was still in university. I was still working through my studies. Um, I found out, however, about a local event that was being discussed and planned in Toronto, and this was 12 years ago, in roughly 2009, I believe. Um, and I'm looking at this and going, okay. You know, I see this new initiative that's coming about. Um, I really believe in it. I don't know exactly what I can provide to it, but I feel like I have a particular skill set here that I can bring to the table. And it really starts with that. Just, you know, there's some sort of overlap between this is what's happening over here and this is what I feel that I can bring. And somewhere in the middle, there is this tiny little sliver of, hey, these folks are probably going to need some degree of business counsel and advice. So 
I'm going to throw my hat into the ring and see what comes of it. So I approached myself, hey, I'd like to offer you guys this. And several months later, um, we incorporated an organization that would eventually become Vernal Equinox, um, the first ever hotel-based for a convention in the, uh, in the city of Toronto um, that over the past 12 years has grown into an event that's had 10 in-person events from 2010 to 2019, um, and at our most recent event, um, over 2,000 people. So it really just kind of started with, hey, I've got a skill here, and I'd like to bring it to something that I feel is worthwhile, and I really you know, am interested to see this event come to fruition. And things just kind of escalated from there. I started with just kind of offering business advice. Eventually, that expanded into doing publicity stuff. And five years later, I was the convention's chair. Um, I did that for four years and then stepped back um, and then stepped back from active kind of convention leadership. Um, but I'm still on the board as um, on our operating board, the, uh, the organizational board, Anthropomorphic Events of Ontario. Um, as its president. So I still provide, I'm still kind of in the back end offering advice and support and continuing to support initiatives that provide some degree of community growth as well. So it's definitely been a journey, but one I've definitely been glad to have a part in. That's really, really cool. And I, I, I think it's important, well, not important, but it's interesting to say that for the longest time, for, 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 for us at the very least, uh, what the fur basically saw Fernal Equinox as its sister con because we basically started at the same time, you know, and we're just 600 kilometers away, which might not seem like a, which might seem like a lot, but really is not. <laughs> so for, it, it was always a bittersweet thing when we went to Fernal Equinox because at least I know my my chairs. Uh, at the time was Feli, and we went there. It's like, oh, we're gonna have so much fun working, getting ready to know what we shouldn't do for our own con, and vice versa. I'm sure. <laughs> like, what mistakes are we gonna make there that we will learn from, or what mistakes are they gonna make that we will learn from? And it was always very uh, a very special time for us because we, we would put just as much work in for an Equinox as our own because. We want the event to succeed. We're not there to we're there to help because we want this to work the same way we want our own event to work, and it's an it's an opportunity for us to learn. But yeah, and I think it's important for people to realize too that there's a lot of collegiality in the furry con running community. Um, you know, people would like to think that there's really active competition between events, but at the end of the day, you have a lot of people that will staff at multiple events, as Firebreath has already alluded to. Um, we see it as an opportunity to learn from one another. Um, you know, we explore different things, we explore different ideas, and we learn from those. So uh, one thing I really came to appreciate is that there's a lot of resources out there. Uh, the con running community is very willing to share ideas and see what works. And, you know, it's a really supportive and, you know, an uplifting community. We, we don't like to see other events fail. We want to, uh, you know, we want to see events succeed because it's important to have a broad array of events that not just you know, serve large swaths of the community, but also have a local focus as well. Yep, I agree with that. How about you, Flick? Well, that's exactly true. Um, you know, it it for the most part, you know, there there may be a few exceptions. I can't think of any. 
Um, but yeah, for the most part, you know, conventions, of course, want other conventions to succeed. It's all about the fandom. It's not about, you know, my convention being better than yours. Um, you know, it's, it's all about the fandom and, and keeping people happy and giving them something to do and somewhere to go and, and, uh, you know, be expressive. And, and that's, that's what it's all about. It's not, you know, cons aren't money making ventures by any means. <laughs> I can attest to that. <laughs> You know, we, we put conventions on for attendees, not, you know, it's, it's not a, like I said, it's not a money-making thing. It's, it's purely for entertainment, the entertainment of the fandom. I, I, I would agree with that and the growth as well of the fandom. Right. And with this in mind, Aiden, how about you? How did you get to start running a convention? Oh gosh. Um, well, uh, I I knew uh, as Scanny mentioned, like I was on those same forums during the time when uh, FE started, and I I don't I don't know like I, I had some interest in in um, supporting it from early on, but I didn't really have the time slash energy. But um, day of, I kind of rolled into the volunteers um, uh, office because we had a little room allocated year one, uh, or yeah, it's not uh, well, it is it is base zero. So like year zero. Um, and yeah, I just volunteered and started doing stuff. And because I always like trying to do the best job possible, I then ended up as two IC for volunteers. <laughs> um, and then I ended up, you know, trying to pay attention to all the things. And I, I, I think I, I'm not trying to say like, I'm a, I was such a cool guy or such a great guy that everyone wanted me to, to be, uh, elevated to the next level, but like ending up director, then ending up chair. I just, I, I always wanted to make sure everything was good and everything was working and everything was, was done correctly. I, I have a lot, a little bit of trouble delegating. I'll be honest about that. So sometimes it, it becomes an issue for me because I'm like, oh, I'm so stressed out. I got to make sure everything works perfectly. And people are like, chill, <laughs> chill. You've got other people who need to help you out. And I'm like, all right, okay, cool. So there's a little bit of, um, you know, over attention to detail there too, <laughs> but, uh, but no, I mean, like, um, I worked with some excellent people. There were opportunities that came along. I mean, I mean, um, my trip to chair was over the span of uh, m most of, but not all of that, those 10 years. Um, and I've only been chair for, you know, a few, what, a few years now, I guess, do you count the off years COVID? What? Uh, we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so that's, that's kind of how I ended up. And, and now, like, I, I feel like it's something that I'm proud of. It's something that I can kind of wear on my sleeve and say, yeah, no, I'm a, I, I'm an event coordinator. Because depending on what company you're talking to, you're like, work talking to someone at work and you're not out. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm an event. I do an event coordination and I help out with this, this little, this little event. You never would have heard of it, you know, whatever. But, um, um, and just, you know, being like, these are the things that I've learned or, you know, I know how to set up a BEO, you know, all of these things that you never thought would be on your skill set before. Heck, it's something you can put on your resume. You just you just need a good parent title like Anthropomorphic Events of Ontario to put on a resume and not have people go, wait, what? <laughs> 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 Furries. Yeah. yeah, but anyways. Uh but yeah, no, it's been a it's been a trip. Um I've met a lot of cool people along the way, including Scanny. Um it's been an adventure, you know, both uh, supporting people as well as being supported by people. Um, uh, just because I'm in the chair seat doesn't mean I'm doing everything. And uh, uh, it's uh, it's definitely um, 
an attestation to all of the work that has gone in from both um, like yourself, Firebreath, like, and all the work you put in and also uh, people that worked with you and around you and, and with me and around me to, to make something like this succeed. So I got to go to one, what the, for at least one year, I was so happy to do so. And, uh, but yeah, I missed out on the chocolate room though. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. But anyways. Uh, who knows? We might rope, uh, serval into, Doing a, 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 a fifth, fifth year or tenth year uh, <laughs> celebration at Fernal Equinox or something. There you go. But uh, you guys will have to talk to him about that. Yeah, totally. No, don't. Yeah, don't. You start putting <laughs> put yourself back in the ring. <laughs> oh, even if um, I wanted to, I can't. <laughs> fair, 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 fair. So, so next up would be. Uh, uh, something that a lot of people probably don't realize, you know, like what did you think working a convention was like, and then you did it and realized, holy cow, this is completely different than what I expected. What would be like that one epiphany moment where this was not what I thought it was about running a convention or working at a convention? Could be uh, volunteer work, could be a uh, gopher, like you mentioned, or staff, or even as a chair. Like the one thing that you were like, oh, this is going to be a breeze, and then, or this is going to be so hard, and it wasn't. Huh. I know that's a question for everybody, but I'm still verbalizing my thoughts. Um, I feel like. I feel like I always, I always had the expectation that I didn't know what I was getting into. Um, I kind of go a little bit alternatively on that. I, I kind of try to set expectations at the door and say, you know, respond to what you're dealing with and and go with the flow. Um, that's kind of why I enjoy it. That my my day job involves uh, uh, dealing with um, customer problems and trying to figure out creative solutions. So I love like solution building. But I would say probably the most complex part is communication talking to each other, literally making sure everyone's on the same page. It's, it's true of business. It's true of, um, social, uh, social, uh, collections, like places where you guys, where you hang out. If someone takes something you say the wrong way, if you are not clear about something, if you're, you know, if you don't, uh, set those expectations early on, it's very easy to get into a situation where there's problems, there's difficulties, someone's feelings are hurt. It's, it's just, it's so universal. And I think, uh, con running is, is no less, uh, something like that. And, and there are some occasions where you have to make decisions that no matter what you do, and it's kind of scary to me because I don't like feeling like I have no option, no matter what you do, you're going to hurt someone's feelings. So I think that probably to me, that's the hardest and most surprising thing that I've seen in, in con running. Yeah, uh, I, I like to refer to those moments as uh, Kobayashi Maru moments, you know, mm -hmm. moment scenarios. I've I've had to deal with a lot of those as a con runner and in my social life and in my corporate life. And yeah, they, they are the hardest ones ever. How about you, Scani? What, what misconceptions did you have that suddenly you got an epiphany about? Yeah. Um... I would definitely agree with Aiden in the sense that we have to remember that communication is no less important in these sort of uh, in these sort of 
roles. Um, you know, you were still dealing with you were still dealing with real people, and I would argue that being staff or volunteer for a convention is are is more difficult because these are not just your professional colleagues, um, like say you would have in the workplace. Uh, these are often your friends that you often have you know, outside in the fandom and share interests with as well. So it's a lot more difficult to manage those relationships and effectively separate church and state, so to speak. You know, you might have to have the difficult professional conversation with somebody, um, you know, in the context of their convention work, you know, but still be making nice with them outside of it. Um, I would say, though, and just continuing the theme about, you know, providing the business and professional insight when I started with uh, the community, um, people don't, people don't recognize that the demands of successfully running a convention are really not too much different for, than the efforts of running any other sort of small business. Um, you know, not just in terms of the business compliance uh, pieces, but, you know, in terms of, in terms of the structure, in terms of the decision-making, um, it really does require a lot of effort. And, you know, for me, that's in my professional career, getting more into leadership and so forth, I don't think I could have gotten where I am now professionally without that foundation of understanding um, that I was able to acquire from several years in convention leadership. Um, you know, as said, you have to be able to effectively communicate with people. Uh, you need to be able to provide people the right roles and have the right structure in place so that you can successfully do what we need to do. Um, actually, when I originally started as chair that was one of the problems that we were having that the event was growing so fast uh but the roles in the structure had not so you know we had to go out basically on a recruiting binge to find additional people in order to in order to meet those particular needs um and i think we're going to talk about this a little bit later but i mean some of the commitments that we have to make as an organization are not insubstantial like with our venue and so forth and so i really got an appreciation for how those different industries work and what the demands are um it really asks a lot um it really asks a lot in terms of attention and and so forth and it's really not something you can just kind of do off the side of your desk it really requires you know really requires dedicated attention and it really requires dedicated focus in order to do it successfully um, especially over extended years where you basically have only one shot a year to make it work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's always that, that, that sort of Damocles expectation about yourself where you're, you see the looming shadow of the convention over you coming down closer and closer every day. And you're like, I have so much work to do. I have so much stuff to do. And I'm, I'm seeing this coming. And you just hope that once it all goes down, it works well. And yeah, that's that's a huge stress. I have to agree. And I like to think I like to think there are some people who work conventions who don't suffer that that I have to I have to make sure everything works kind of mentality, which is great for a leader, great for someone in a position of responsibility. Um, but if you know people who are running gopher st stuff or doing things saying, just tell me what I need to do, what I need to bring from point A to point B. Um, you can experience working a convention and helping five, 10, 15 people over the course of the weekend and come away from that really pleased. Um, but at the same time, you don't have that same breadth of awareness of what's going on behind the scenes. And maybe that's good. <laughs> so, you know, you can, like, I know we're all talking about like, 
like our, our, our experiences and, and what we were surprised by. But at the same time, some people aren't going to see that. And that's probably a good thing. They'll be like, no, no, someone's in the back, you know, stressed out, pulling at their hair, trying to figure out what, what to do. And, you know, you're just there to make suggestions, to do your job and et cetera. So I think that's, that's one of the nice things that uh, everyone is, uh, is aware of, at least in our teams, I think. Yeah, the, the, the various roles all have different uh, insight on what it is to be working or running a con. So that's always interesting. Yeah, not just the attendees, but also the staff and the department heads and the, everything else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Personally, my, my, my epiphany was basically how much importance I have to put on for uh, volunteers. They're so important and so hard to get. It's that that was what for me when I was running the convention became like the big thing is I, I need to work with my volunteer department. I need to, to, to find ways to get people to volunteer to try and f entice them to partake into helping us because we need that. Even if it's 15 minutes, please <laughs> just give it if possible. Yeah, and how about you, Clay? Did you have anything like that? Not really. I mean, I, you know, I'm not to be smug, but it, it seemed, you know, walking into it, I kind of had a pretty good idea of what was going on. Um, you know, I hate to be super general, but basically the biggest epiphany I had was just how much is involved <laughs> in really putting a con together all the pieces and all the little bits and you know coordinating everything and putting it all together it was i don't want to say overwhelming but it was definitely eye-opening yeah I, I can echo that as well yeah. <laughs> and on this i think we're due for a small break aren't we yeah yeah this will be the this will be the big bathroom break <laughs> all right so uh we're going to leave you with some kind of music or some kind of segment, and we will be back in a moment. So stay tuned and stay safe, guys. Greetings. This is Harlan Fox, wishing you all a very happy summertime. And you're listening to For What It's Worth. this thing that we call for what it's worth wow that was uh, that was one hell of a break now wasn't it i'm impressed by the beautiful things that everyone was saying and heard and making in terms of noises I beautiful beautiful noises <laughs> so speaking of noises uh click is there noises that we need with the podcast itself noises that we need well that's an interesting way to put it <laughs> well they're mouth noises aren't they <laughs> so 
if you listen to public radio, at least around here, they have certain celebrities come on the radio station and say, this is insert celebrity name. You're listening to insert radio station. We also need stuff like that for the podcast. So if people want to send in uh, blurbs for us on SpeakPipe or um, via email, um, that's all we need is this is so-and-so furry name and you're listening to for what it's worth. And you can even insert, you know, little quips in the middle of what you're doing. Just keep it short, simple. I think you get the idea. So something like, hi, this is Firebreath, and you're listening to your favorite podcast for what it's worth. Exactly. There you go. Simple as that. Anybody can do it. If I can do it, anybody can. <laughs> I'm just that good or bad, depending how you want to put it. <laughs> so coming back to our topic at hand, conventions. What are they? How does one start them? Well, we're going to answer those things. So... Scotty, since uh, you, you, you you were there, well, both of you were there on the ground floor, actually. How would you say one to start a convention? How, for example, what kind of expenses can you be looking at? Uh, how do you find a venue? The big question is, how do you know how much to charge for entry, or if you do at all? And do conventions need themes, or is just that a fad? Okay, that's a lot to unpack. Whew, that's a lot to unpack. Wow. Yeah, we don't uh, have to go into details. I know that 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 uh, I understand that contract negotiations can be very complicated. But as a, if you had to do a five-minute tops explanation of whatever, like big lines, high level, how would you put it? Okay. Start small. Period. Start. End of story. Done. Oh, I <laughs> go, go ahead, Scanny. That is I'm... not that is not incorrect. <laughs> Uh, I think the first thing, yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, most events will probably need, unless you have a really generous funder, you will probably need some degree of seed money uh, from your community uh, in order to get there. So, yeah, I would be in agreement. Start small. Um, you know, don't feel like you have to go full on convention and big hotels and so forth. Uh, start in modest community centers, stuff that you can easily run. Encourage your community to chip in. Um, other events have taken that approach and it's looked uh, and it's worked really well for them because once you start getting into proper hotels and so forth, that's when you start getting into the significant commitments. That's when they're going to ask you, okay, you need to provide us with a rib block that you're financially responsible for. If you don't fill it, uh, you're responsible for room rentals. You might be responsible for catering. Uh, that all adds up. Um, speaking of venue, I would honestly say that um, if you can get professional counsel in finding a venue, I would definitely recommend doing so. Uh, there are lots of great organizations out there that, uh, you know, that this is what they do, right? They do event planning. Um, they negotiate contracts for you. Um, Fur Linkwinox has worked with Andromeda Consultants for the past several years. Um, they're a great organization. I mean, this is literally what they do for a living. Um, they go out there, they negotiate uh, contracts and agreements with venues, and they bring a lot of business to said venues. Um, so I highly would recommend it because, you know, trying your best to read through contract minutiae when a lot of people, especially in furry and other subculture and other fan communities may not necessarily know a lot about this, just not a good uh, piece altogether. Um, having Thanks, a good Rick. sense, 
sorry, go ahead. I, I was going to say experts like that know what they can ask for, as opposed to you just being like, so I don't really know how to do this. <laughs> exactly. You have to understand kind of what the market's going to tolerate. And quite frankly, especially relevant right now with COVID, uh, the market's changing all the time, right? So you need to know what you can actually legitimately ask for. Um, have a reasonable sense of financial literacy. Um, to that point, um, have a budget, know what you want to spend. You will have certain expenses such as your, uh, such as your hotel and uh, venue rental that are probably going to be fixed with time. Uh, you will have some such as your attendee handouts and so forth that are going to scale uh, depending on how many people that you bring in the door. Have a clear sense of what you want to, of what you want to extend and price yourself accordingly. Um, it is certainly okay to benchmark against other events. Obviously, if other conventions in the area are charging, I don't know, 50 bucks for a registration and you're over at 200 bucks, um, you're going to be pretty far out of the ballpark. So have an understanding of what the market's going to bear. Um, and last but not least, um, speaking to the theme piece, uh, this is really up to uh, this is really up to you. Um, I would say that. You know, it really depends on your ability and your community's ability to buy into the theme. We've had great themes where the community has just been like, I love it. I'm going to get into it. I'm going to build costumes. I'm going to do art. Uh, we're really going to, we absolutely love it. And then there are some where it's just like, either I don't understand it or we just, we just can't get on with this. Um, either way, just be prepared to, you know, if you're going to engage with a theme, um, make sure that it's something that your community is going to be able to buy into, something that's going to reasonably inspire them. Um, conventions engage with themes at varying levels, to be quite honest with you. And I would say if you're going to make the effort of, of selecting a theme for your event, just make sure it's something that you're willing to, to go through and get some inspiration out of your community from. Yeah. And there, there's always hidden costs to things too. So like being able to like calling a theme and then doing absolutely nothing to respect it is it's not really a, an action to say, oh yeah, hey, come to our cool con where we're, we're celebrating this. If you rely on your attendee base completely, then you're then people come in and they're like, well, where's all of the whatever? Either like consider your swag or maybe tell a story. There's some lovely events um, that I've that I've been to where they do like a full storyline associated with their event. There's a lot of creative ways to build in a theme. I am of the opinion it is not required, but. Um, without having a theme, it's really hard to kind of bring people together in a like a common approach or a common kind of um, celebratory topic. Um, so it has its definite benefits, but you got to treat it right. Um, Alternatively, you could go yeah. the first right route, right, which is basically Halloween year yeah. after year, you or, know. <laughs> or or there's that uh, there's that uh, New Year's one. The um, the yeah, there's some of them when you're centered around a an event. Yeah, you can you can do that. You can just say, "This is when we have our event." Um, our 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 vernal equinox is not the best event to to, ab to abstract our, our theme around, um, but yes, no, I, I I totally agree. Those ones you have a little bit of an easier time of keeping it consistent. But yeah, uh, and I have to say that I personally found finding themes really really hard. Yeah, because everything's been done. <laughs> Well, and then, and you try something new and you're like, oh, this can't possibly go wrong. And then someone's like, yeah, but, and then they list some like glaring issue with the tone or the, or the feel of the theme. Like the, I think, um, when we did our, um, live and large theme, just the, just the kind of opulent style of thing is just like, yeah, but 
that's that's like out of reach of the 99% and we're like oh because that was like not long after um i think a, a recent housing crisis at the time so it's like oh okay yeah that was a little tone deaf um and i've i've heard worse stories than just that but yeah it you got to be you got to be cautious hey at that point, if that, it, with that theme, you could have just pivoted and say, oh, no, it's about micro, 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 you know, it's like so Godzilla. Many people, so <laughs> many people kaijued it up like they they threw the yeah, absolutely. That was definitely a an under theme, <laughs> which is why I said it, because that's exactly yes. what I saw. We love and it, frankly, yes. you can't for you can't force what you can't force themes. People are going to take it in different directions. Let them let your community be creative um and and roll with it um you know sometimes you'll kind of come up with a couple of words and your computer community will run with it in different ways let them um that's a theme you know that's a theme doing its work as long as it has something to do with what you've pushed as a theme even if it's completely different than what you expected hey it's still part of the theme you know <laughs> i i do find that a lot of people just to carry back to the little bit to the conversation we started with the, you know, how do you start a con? Um, there's a lot of people who come in and kind of assume that the first, the starting point of a gathering or something like that is let's go talk to a hotel. And that absolutely isn't the case. Um, I'm one of the big believers in the fact, and, and I think this is definitely true of like, tr at least Toronto's community. I'm sure other communities have similar things. Um, if you bring people together in a restaurant for a meetup where Basically, you figure out ways to make sure that everyone's coming and they know the rules and, the, you know, everyone's kind of making sure that the bill gets dealt with correctly and what have you. Those are just as much of events as, as conventions. They have a lot less risk associated with them. And I think risk is really a big thing that conventions um, have to consider that I think is less obvious to people. Um, where like the worst thing that happens is someone skips out on their bill. You can, you know, you, you have a backup plan for that, or you have a little pot of funds that people can, uh, put into for that. It, it, there's, there's mechanisms to do that. You want to go out and do a, an event together. Um, you know, we've like, I'm sure a lot of people have seen stuff like, uh, the kerfluffle group and Toronto does where they go and do streetcar runs and they go in the Kajima, which is a ship. I'm probably mispronouncing that. Uh, ship in, in Lake Ontario, there's a lot of different things you can do as a group without necessarily having to sit in a hotel and talk to each other and do art or sell stuff. So, um, and, and those things are, depending on how you do it, you can actually build those things into fundraising events, which I know um, are, I guess, other sister cousin convention. Uh, Canference did a lot with the footprints uh, kind of mechanism. So there's a lot of ways to reduce risk that make it possible for you to like kind of seed your your budget to to succeed at doing a, a much bigger event plus all those little events allow you to gauge how big your community is and how many varied people you have um so that you're not building a convention for a thousand people when your community locally is like a hundred so yeah it's a lot of a lot of things that you can do that aren't full-fledged conventions but they're, they're a great start and they'll also give you the opportunity to learn the basics at the same time absolutely yeah like what your community is like or what people are interested in, even just casual conversations can go a long way. Source of some good ideas. Well, stuff like that also lets you get an insight on how your team's going to work together, mm -hmm. um, you know, how things are going to work and who can, how, how you guys can communicate and how, you know, work together. And that kind of gives you a, a jump start there too. Speaking of the team, 
a big issue that we've had here in Montreal was always finding volunteers. And that's something I hear a lot from across the board of directors of very every convention I've ever talked to. So how would you say, how do you recruit people to work for free? Because let's face it, you guys aren't paid. Neither are the volunteers. How do you get people to tell to say, yeah, I'll give some of my time that I paid to be there for to work for the convention for free? Well, that's interesting because I actually served as volunteer lead for a while. Um, Which is I why I'm targeting say, you. <laughs> yeah, thanks, I guess. I, I would say that the perks um, are probably one of the easiest ways to get the, not not necessarily the best workers, but they're there to get some they're to get the people who are like i want yeah if if i get a perk or if i get a thing or if i get a food coupon or if i get a t-shirt yeah sure i'll put some time in towards you um and i think that's the big difference between um recruiting for volunteers and recruiting for staff because i think when you're trying to recruit for staff which is equally difficult um you're trying to aim for someone who actually believes in the event the i will tell you right now that i don't think any of our staffers actually staff just because they get free attendance that is that is not why they staff it's a nice perk it's recognition but i i really don't think that's the key decision maker um but it's like it's it's a it's a mixture of things i think the the mechanisms we rely on heavily right now are mostly organic um we rely on our networks we rely on our contacts you know, we know that this friend of ours happened to work at an anime con and they have a particular set of expertise there. And we talked to them and, okay, you know, you know, we're, we have a little bit of a trouble with that at our event. Maybe you should come tell us how you do the things. And, and sometimes that's a formal relationship and sometimes it's informal. Like they just come in and do like a session or something with us. Um, but it relies so heavily on stuff like an organic growth model or a friend of a friend kind of model um, that, I think that's kind of why we're struggling <laughs> is we're not, we don't have the backing of saying, here's our profit. We can split out this much of it for new staff. We can't just say, here's your money. Here's what you're, what you're worth. We have to say, look, you have to believe in this event uh, to, to do what you do because um, there's not a heck of a lot of reward for it. So I think there's that, that not necessarily a crisis of faith, but more of like a, you, you have to find people who are willing to, put not just a 15 minutes worth of work in for a free t-shirt, which, which is not the, not how it translates, but um, not just willing to put that minimal amount of effort in for a perk. So you could give different perks for different scales and it just, it won't make someone change their mind. So someone has to be interested in something. They have to be interested in making it better. Um, and I'm not sure there's a good answer on how to, how to encourage that besides trying different tactics and advertising and um, being proactive and all that other fun stuff that, is very nebulous. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you know, it, it, staffing a convention is definitely a labor of love. Mm -hmm. Like, like you said, you have to believe in it. You have to do it because you're, the, you know, you have to be there to run the convention because you want the convention to succeed. Um, I agree with you on the swag thing. Um, it, 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 that's actually kind of a good way to weed out the people who actually would be good for staff because everybody shows up for the swag and the ones who just stick around longer, uh, you know, have, have more of a tendency to, to move on, move up to staff and actually put the time in. 
plus the people who walk in and say, here's a proposal of how we think you, how I think your team could do something differently. And they've spent like a bunch of work on it. And it's clearly something that they've thought through. It's like, okay, you might be staff potential. Right. <laughs> You're a little crazy. It's good. <laughs> oh, a little, a lot. <laughs> Let's face it. Small, small requirement, base requirement of being slightly crazy to be staff at a convention. Anyways. But yes, Scanny, you? Turn. Yeah, Scanny, Verb, tell us. I would definitely agree that, you know, in the absence of, you know, in the absence of meaningful compensation to be able to provide to, uh, to be able to provide to volunteers, um, the real focus is on mandate and mission and what you provide to the community um, and the sense of, and the sense of spirit that you're able to, uh, that you're able to bring to you in the process. Um, sometimes it's the gestures, but um, I do find that a lot of people that come through in the staff sense are, um, are they're either there's a couple of different groups that you can have uh i've had groups that for example are fairly young um you know they might be for example you know they might be looking to get volunteer hours for you know for purposes of high school or something else that they're looking to engage in and and engaging with their furry community is the way that they they kind of achieve that goal and they stay involved from there um alternatively you have you know you have older generations that you know they've kind of experienced the convention they've experienced conventions from the attendee side um and they're getting to a point in their lives where they're saying okay you know what um i want to give back to my community um and it's a couple of different groups and you know there are multiple different motivations why somebody might get engaged um as a volunteer for an event but it's really understanding what people's motivations are uh, and continuing to find ways to support them, make them understand that their contribution matters and make them feel that their ongoing work and their ongoing contributions um, are valuable and do make a difference. Um, to me, that's that's kind of the key to, you know, to engagement and retention. Um, and one of the things that we say to all the time, like, you know, real life has to come first. Um, respect people as they are, respect people, people for what they can contribute. Um, and there will be times when people's lives change and they can't necessarily provide the same engagement to the convention anymore. Um, we always wish that they can kind of stay on forever. I know we're, we're constantly on the hunt, but, um, I think if we can respect people for what they do bring and, you know, respect people for the balanced lives that they're trying to, to live above and beyond volunteering at the event, um, you're a lot more likely to, you know, to obtain and retain, you know, the respect of your staff and the respect of your volunteers. Yeah, I, I think that's very important to mention. Yeah, the the respect of because it goes both ways, right? Uh, I've like I've said earlier, I volunteered for Fernal at the very beginning of it, and I've volunteered for other conventions, and I've always had that that connection with the staff because it was so small at the beginning and it grew and it grew and it grew. And I, I had to stop eventually due to personal reasons, but I've always loved the connection I made with everyone that worked at that convention that I worked with. And I think that was my main driver. Like I, I love the community. I love the furry community. I wouldn't be doing this. I wouldn't have done anything I, I've done for the past 15 years for it, but it's always been about the people for me and those connections that I've built. And if anybody out there is listening and saying, oh, I'm not sure if I want to volunteer at a convention, I would say do it because you will make your best connections 
friends that will become very close friends through this because you will share something that you don't have outside of convention running. Like uh, I think it was Aiden that was saying, uh, you know, the, 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 there's a it's a tightly knit group essentially. Uh, I think it was Aiden. Maybe it was Connie. I think Scanny touched on it. Yeah, yeah. I, I I agree though. I think that the opportunities to make friends and well, not necessarily influence people, but at least you know, like, well, yeah, you can influence people, make decisions on your own, and say, hey, this is really cool. Uh, but yeah, the opportunity to meet people is fantastic in a work setting, and if you're more comfortable in that setting than you are just throwing yourself into a crowd, which 1000% I absolutely am, um, then yeah, that's a great opportunity for you to meet people, get get to know them, like learn learn what, you know, what type of person they are, and also find new people through them. So yeah, it's a great networking opportunity too. All right, so we talked about this a little bit earlier, but how has COVID made things easier or harder? Because I'm sure that it, it, it created a bunch of issues, but also new opportunities for conventions. Uh, you know what? I wasn't going to, I was originally going to be like, no, it totally didn't make it easier. I, I find that, yeah, that raises an interesting point. So I'm going to tackle that first. I think the prevalence and how much people are actually considering and appreciative of online events is a big change related to what COVID is, uh, COVID has done. Um, because I mean, we had to, like a lot of events had to do an online event uh, for at least one year, maybe two. Um, and it's like, we can do some of the things that we did in person. It's not the same, just like by far. I, I, I agree that uh, for many people who do not feel that connection to the online space, um, it is absolutely not the same, but it is an opportunity. And I think um, we'll see events starting to add in um, virtual components. Um, Effie'd streamed for quite a while, but we, you know, as a result of our uh, COVID, our year of COVID, uh, we ended up putting together a VR world. Um, so, you know, things like that are going to stick around. We may even continue to build them. Um, some events may just do streaming and then say, okay, back to normal. But um, I feel like some of the events that have popped up recently actually are almost purely virtual. Um, CozyCon, who we partnered with a little bit, probably out of date by the time this airs, but uh, who we partnered with recently actually is purely virtual. And it's great to see these types of events popping up, not having the same initial costs of having to have a hotel space and being able to bring a group of people together in in their own way and, uh, and have fun. So I think there's definitely that as a, kind of a side positive uh, to, to the situation that COVID has kind of presented us with. Scanny, I feel like you have the, the, uh, the negative story, like the, the story of COVID for us a little bit, a little bit down better than I do. I'll leave you put some comment, color commentary. <laughs> yeah. And I won't, uh, I, I don't want to kind of rehash Not the whole it. thing, but yeah, yeah, I don't want to rehash it. Cause it's, you know, kind of op- open and out there on my Twitter. If people want to, uh, if people want to read it, but I think the big challenge for us was, um, and I'll just sum it up this way. Um, COVID just completely upended the traditional advice that is given to conventions with regards to things like contract management and cancellation. Um, you know, we're not, you know, we never anticipated that, okay, a pandemic is going to hit us. And so um, in that last week or two before um, before our scheduled convention dates, uh, you know, we're thinking to myself, okay, we need to, you know, you know, okay, we're, we're going to be bound by the terms of our contract and we need to govern ourselves accordingly. Uh, but what we weren't kept, but as it turned out, um, when a government order comes in and says, well, no, actually large, large gatherings are banned. Um, 
that's not actually the way things are going to play out. And yeah. the supersedes those other stuff. <laughs> timing kind of sucked, but that's just the reality of it. Um, as we come back to in-person events, um, I think, and this is you know not unique to conventions. Obviously, this is what we're seeing broadly in society at large. Um, you know, there's a lot more considerations as to what sort of precautions and what sort of safety um, do you need to have in place in order to make people feel comfortable at an event. Um, and I think in fairness, um, as we talk today, um, we're seeing a few data points to suggest that there's a lot of latent interest in conventions. People want to get back to events. Uh, for the events that have run so far post-COVID, um, they're still seeing their same attendance counts in case, or maybe down just a little bit, but not, you know, it's not like people have gone to the four winds. They want to come back to events. Um, it's just a matter of finding safe ways uh, to get people back. Um, you know, which includes uh, different PPE and different precautions that might be in place. Um, you know, vaccine, you know, the mandates for vaccines that uh, a lot of events have, uh, have gone down towards. Um, and it's completely new and uncharted territory. This is not something that we were talking about two years ago. Um, so it creates a lot of um, new territory for, uh, for events. And obviously it's important for many of us who are volunteers in our own right and, you know, and, you know, are trying our best to, to meander through this uh, brave new world. Um, you know, we want to make sure that we're well counseled, but at the same time, faithful to our needs and uh, keeping our attendees safe and being faithful to our missions to serve our communities as well. Lots of challenges, but also, yeah, as you say, uh, Fire Breath, it's, uh, there are definitely some opportunities too. You see it in more than just furry, but um, I like to think we're a little bit more flexible, a little bit more creative sometimes than the, uh, the general uh tech like technology events and stuff like that where they're just trying to figure out what to do we're like okay how are we going to deal with this guys <laughs> what's the plan so well that that's one of the best parts about being a self-made fandom absolutely is you know we we've had to come up with all this on our own anyway so when when a you know when a curveball comes in it, it's it's a lot easier to handle for us because we're just like okay well let's try this yeah team huddle team huddle yeah we, we make it happen no it's great uh, the the uh, I I will say kind of back to and then I know we're uh, um, like a little straying off a little bit but uh, back to Firebreast Point like finding new staff like where how do you find team members how do you find volunteers we went and did something completely different we had a virtual event and we had a whole bunch of people with different skill sets come on board to help support that and some of them are sticking around some of them are quite ex excited to see how we're going to kind of merge these things together so you know doing something different is a great opportunity for someone to say hey. I, I can help with that. As Scanny said, I have the skill set, you know, it's, it's really cool to see how people jump in to help. That's actually really cool that uh, there was a whole new skill set that was opened by oh, yeah. this opportunity that nobody would have thought five years ago, hey, I know 3D modeling, I can do this. I know it's going to be useful for a con. Nah. Back, and now back, look at it. Back at my first 2004 convention, when there was uh, there was a fellow there, and he was he was doing his best, and he had done this 3D uh, rendered kind of short DVD, and he was trying to sell it, and you, he's like the outlier. And now it's like, but no, this is a thing now. <laughs> he was just really early to the game, <laughs> so. All right. Well, I guess this brings us to our next break, right before we uh, close up shop. So uh, stay tuned, everyone. Uh, we'll finish up in a few moments. In the meantime, enjoy this beautiful segment. Take me home tonight. I just want to show you the truth. 
And we're back. Ooh, what an adventure that was. <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm going to need to, to, to brush my hair back because it's all over the place because it was so intense. Wow. <laughs> Epic uh, adventure. Here we come. Well, here we were. There we were. We were there. And now we're here. <laughs> with our listeners and our guests. Are they over there? I don't know. Are they? <laughs> all right so we're we're winding down that episode it was a really good one very interesting but we do have a few things to do one of which i think click knows what it is do you know what it is click we need to thank people who make this possible and what is that called it's called patreon worship <laughs> and now our patreons Sly, Ashton Sergal, Jarl the Spirit Wolf, Big Bear Luno, GW, Nuka, Koru, Bubble Whip, Adelor Solther, Moss, Chaffogriff, Aussie K, Black Baldric, Ligris, Kit, Ichigo Okami, Simone Parker, Guardian Lion, Rifka Fox, and last but not least, Harlan Fox. Ah, such a bunch of wonderful people, weren't they, Click? <laughs> Definitely. Patreon makes all this possible. Um, anything, anything, anything that comes in with Patreon basically pays for equipment and like I said, that's the only reason we can do this. Yeah, for equipment, for monthly costs like the website and stuff like that. So I guess you could say that all of this is made possible by listeners like you. <laughs> wow, that's a callback. That's a callback and a half. <laughs> From Canada. <laughs> all right. Uh, so anything, any little things, final thoughts or whatever you guys want to share? Scotty, anything you want to plug? Go support your local cons. Yeah. <laughs> Even if you don't think you know how, trust me, none of us do. <laughs> we're just making it up as we go along. I would uh, say we're making it up. We're making very educated. Uh, put it this way: oh, we don't okay. get a lot of opportunities. To see, <laughs> we don't get a lot of opportunities to see our work uh, happen, and certainly haven't over That's the true. last few years. So, yeah. uh, one of the things I've talked about before is the catharsis that um, organizers get after a successful event. Oh, we haven't yeah. had that in a long time. There's and, no payoff. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I stayed far enough away from VFE to to walk in there and act like I was just an attendee. <laughs> so I was very pleased to see people. People are just having fun and having fun myself. But yeah, yes. for sure, for sure. But Not everyone yes. gets that experience. <laughs> so, but yeah, fair but, enough. But yeah, definitely agree. Support your local events. Um, they volunteer if you can. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you guys have anything to plug? Um, any any sites? Anything? Any way we can get a hold of you? www.fernalequinox.com. Fernal, not funeral. We've had that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Autocorrect yeah, is a pain for autocorrect us. Autocorrect is a pain. 
oh gosh <laughs> even like we we've had like misspelled signage and stuff uh anyway um anyways not to be too morbid but uh yeah we're uh yeah our events at uh, fernalequinox.com uh, on twitter and at fernalequinox um facebook i think the same uh heck i even think we're on snapchat are we on snapchat i believe try, we're on find, try looking I for believe us on snapchat so I'd have to check. <laughs> I am not on Snapchat, so I wouldn't. Uh, neither am I. Neither am I. Worst case scenario, uh, this I, information would be available on your website, yes, I take it? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I'm personally on Twitter as at uh, Scani Griff, so. Great. And uh, I want to I, I wanna thank you both for being here, for uh, talking to us about uh, this uh, very interesting and uh, very often misunderstood topic. Uh, again, to any listeners that were thinking, I don't know if I should uh, I should volunteer, do it. You're not going to regret it. Do it. And if you're a little bit crazy, maybe you'll get roped into staff. <laughs> well, I, will not make any, I will not make anyone staff that doesn't agree to it. So, uh, and, and I won't force anybody. So, No, seriously, we do have an agreement. <laughs> Volunteering is, is, is much more fun than it seems like it's going to be. Yeah, and you're going to make friends for life, I guarantee it. Yeah, volunteering is a great first step. Yeah, so uh, thank you very much, guys. Uh, I was very appreciative uh, very appreciative of you guys coming here and talking to us and spending some time uh, some time with us. Yeah. Uh, obviously, uh, we have our own websites at forwhatitsworth.com where you can find our episodes and uh, send, find our emails and everything. We're also on Twitter at forwhatitsworth.com. That's not .com. Twitter is not .com. It's at forwhatitsworth. Uh, we also have a, our own Telegram channel at, uh, again, for what it's worth. And if you'd like to reach any of the cast, uh, you can uh, send us an email directly at our own name at forwhatitsworth.com. Or you can send a general cast email for cast at forwhatitsworth.com. And finally, we also have a speak pipe. If you want to leave us a message, if you want to say something, tell us something, tell us a dad joke. We're always, we're always looking for parental humor. We love it. At speakpipe.com slash F-W-I-W for, for what it's worth shortened. All right, so I guess this is it, isn't it? I think that's it. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it was a pleasure to be here. Yes, well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you, well, thank you very on. much for coming. And on this, this is Firebreath. And Click. And Aiden. And Scotty. And you've been listening to? For, for what, what is it's worth. worth. <laughs>